0: Jesus, Bible, and current events from a Christian perspective. Battling spiritual wickedness in high places, one podcast at a time. This is the High Places Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Jim. Well, big uh, political news this week for election 2020. Uh, Uncle Joe Biden finally uh, jumped into the race. So, uh, kind of hanging around, just, uh, you know, sitting at the edge of the pool and finally decided to get in the water. Um, and I guess he raised a lot of money the first day too. Um, uh, but the thing, I haven't heard Joe talking in a long time. Uh, Joe always, uh, looked like kind of a vital guy and, you know, kind of, I remember him being kind of feisty and that. Um, uh, but, uh, just listening to him talk, Joe sounds old. Joe sounds like really old and kind of tired. Um, he doesn't look tired, and he doesn't look particularly older than normal. But boy, he sounds old. Um, I I am concerned for Joe's well-being. I mean, can he endure a you know year and a half long campaign? And then what if he actually wins and makes it to the presidency? Uh, I someone pointed this out um, the other day that. Joe Biden, if he wins the presidency, he will be going into office at the same age that Ronald Reagan left office after eight years. I remember when Reagan got elected and people were joking about his age because he was going to be 70 when he, uh, you know, went into the White House and they were talking about, you know, is he going to be senile? Is he going to know what's going on? And Actually, if you remember that campaign way, way back in 80, Reagan was like an energetic guy, and even at the start of his administration until the assassination attempt. And you can tell that kind of took something out of him, uh, because he was kind of tired after that. Um, but Joe seems tired now. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, we'll see how that all goes. Um, but boy, the, um, other, uh, kerfuffle about that whole thing is that the three people at the top of the polls for the Democrats are three white guys. And boy, oh boy, is there some hand wringing about that. Wow. So if you remember uh, when Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, the line from the Democrats was, well, it's just sexism and You know, Donald Trump tapped into this misogynistic, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so is that a two-way street? If the three people at the top of the Democratic polls right now are all men, does that mean the Democrats are misogynistic and sexist? And I don't know. Um, And it's funny because you look at people like um, Elizabeth Warren, who I don't think she has a single policy I agree with, uh, but she's putting out a ton of policy papers. I mean, actual stuff that like she's committing to. And again, it may be like wacky uh, to some people, and to some people maybe not. Um, but she's putting like a lot of detail out. She's like a policy wonk. She's like Dukakis uh, back in uh, when was it '88, I guess. Um, and he was kind of a policy wonk. And so she seems to be too, and she can't even get any attention. She's still in single digits. Um, and I think they said for the top five candidates or uh, for the top six, depending on which polls you, you look at, it's, uh, it's, there's four men at white men at that. And so, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I mean, if it's, if the nominee winds up being a white male, is it, uh, does that mean the Democrats are misogynistic and sexist and anti-woman and anti-minority if it's a white man? I don't know. Uh, that's the problem with basing your politics on name calling and, um, this whole, um, uh, divide and conquer identity politics thing. Uh, cause it can come back to bite you and then you look like a hypocrite. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. See, it's like if Joe gets into this thing, so Joe's no different than the rest of them. I mean, he's probably more moderate, um, cause he's old enough to remember when, uh, Marxism was a bad thing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, uh, killing a baby before she's born and, uh, the whole, uh, um uh, impure relationships or unnatural relationships. He's supposed to be Catholic. Um, I think Pelosi is too. How how, how can you be religious and like be in favor of killing kids when it's convenient to do so? It's weird. Um, but Joe, it's funny to me because he's like Hillary Clinton, right? He's establishment and he's, you know, he's been spending all this time trying to line up his big money donors. And boy, they came through. What was it like six point two, six point seven million dollars in the first twenty-four hours? But he's doing, you know, the old party bosses, and you know, trying to line all this stuff up. And it's like, huh, isn't that, see? That's the thing that I think uh, kept the Bernie Sanders voters at home in 2016, or had them vote for the Green Party. The a lot of the Sanders supporters after he got basically. <laughs> undermined by the dnc uh because they rigged the primaries in hillary's favor uh those sanders supporters just stayed home so it's funny uh, it, they're gonna you know if the democrats wind up nominating uncle joe he may get those white working class uh people in like pennsylvania and michigan and wisconsin but the sanders supporters are going to stay home again um and, and and actually you probably have even more now that would do what the Sanders supporters did because the Democratic Party has a chance to pick someone female, uh, non-white, uh, young. And if they don't do that and they pick yet another establishment, old establishment candidate, now you've got even more groups that you're going to make mad and people who will stay home or vote for the Green Party. Uh, yeah, if Trump wins in 2020, you could see the ascendance of the Green Party in 2024 because all these uh, young millennials and these different groups, they're not going to trust the Democrats anymore. Um, so, yeah, so that whole strategy could backfire. But honestly, I don't know if Joe's going to have the endurance to last the whole time. I think mean, he's going to just kind of peter out. And if his past uh, presidential uh campaigns or any indication, he'll wind up saying something that gets him in trouble. So I uh, I would be surprised if Joe wound up being the nominee, but who knows. So yeah. And then uh the other uh political thing you hear uh, you know, we talked last week about the bombings on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka and um uh you know uh President Obama and Hillary Clinton and some others. Um, you know, tweeted out messages about their sympathies for the uh, Easter worshipers. And that they, uh, multiple people use that phrase, Um, but they didn't bother to mention Christian. And you've seen articles about this this week. It's like, you know, is Christian the new C word? You're not supposed to use that word publicly. Um, And it's funny because you have these like leftist politicians. And who claim to be Christians, but as we've seen in this campaign with people who claim to be Christians, um, they have a really different definition of Christianity. Uh, One that uh, I'm sure the early church would um, not recognize. (laughs) And uh, anyone giving a thorough reading of the Bible uh, wouldn't recognize the theology of this uh, uh, Marxist Christianity. Um so yeah, that's a whole thing. But speaking of that uh Sri Lanka uh bombing, um the initial reports, and I think we talked about that, um, were blaming it on um Buddhist monks because they've had so much trouble in Sri Lanka with Buddhist monks attacking non Buddhists. Um uh, but uh the latest um thing that was out about this is that it's supposed to be some Muslim terror group? Um, let's see. Uh, the group is called. I'm bringing up the article, National Tawheed Jamaath, and I guess they've arrested a bunch of people uh, with this. And um, but the the weird thing about this is that uh, one of the bombers, and apparently I saw articles where they were using. Um, like fake names or they call it, uh, nom de guerres or something. It's like, you know, your, your pen name. And so I don't know why they would like try to hide that. Well, I have a thought about how they, why they'd try to hide their real name. One of the bombers, uh, supposedly, uh, is Imam Zaran Hashim, uh, who is uh, supposed to be the group's founder also. Well, this guy, he's, posted videos on YouTube um before this whole thing happened with like a sheet with like buckets of blood on it and all this other stuff and he's you know quoting known terrorists and these videos were still um on YouTube the 21st on Easter Sunday when all this stuff was going on and you remember that when they had the shootings at the mosque in New Zealand how you know all these um big tech companies like scrambled to shut down any word of this stuff and I think there was even one guy in New Zealand who got arrested for posting videos um that the the video that the the guy shooting up the moss took while they were shooting and someone reposted it and I think that person got arrested so you know they're clamping down on all that. But this guy he's had his videos out there and uh man i think uh let's see yeah in one of the videos uh he's saying anyone quote anyone who disagrees with muslims should be killed end quote um huh so yeah um it's it's just uh it's funny that uh, these guys can say this yeah i'm looking at the picture there's like a blood thing with a, like a knife with blood on it and apparently, he's been quoting some guy named um, Zakir Naik, who's an Indian Islamic uh, preacher, uh, a Wahhabiist, And um, he's been banned in several countries. He's He's been banned in the United Kingdom, Canada, Malaysia. And he's wanted for arrest uh, in India. And this guy was like defending... Osama bin Laden. And what was his quote? Uh, Quote, if bin Laden is fighting enemies of Islam, I am for him. If he is terrorizing America, the terrorist, biggest terrorist, I am with him. Every Muslim should be a terrorist. The thing is that if he is terrorizing the terrorists, he is following Islam. End quote. Huh. And apparently this guy, I'm trying to find him. His channel is still up on YouTube. I just brought it up right now. He has 939,000 subscribers. And he's on YouTube, Dr. Zakir Naik, Z-A-K-I-R, and then the last name, N-A-I-K. And he's like, yeah, he's got his, I think I've seen this guy before. He actually looks familiar. Um, And so, yeah. Uh, where's the big tech companies clamping down on <laughs> on all this stuff? Because like whenever you hear about, so they're having all these elections in Europe. They had one in Sweden recently. And I think in the Netherlands and Spain is having an election tomorrow, the 28th. And so all these nationalist parties are doing really, really well. Because they want to stop all this immigration and all this other stuff. They want to stop surrendering or surrendering their sovereignty to the EU. Um, and they're so anyone who's a nationalist now. I think I was reading an article the other day. They're equating nationalism with like Nazism. Um, so if you don't want to surrender your country's sovereignty to some pan-national group of oligarchs that you're a nazi i remember when patriotism used to be a good thing um but again if you want a one world government you have to abolish this notion of nationhood um and so it's interesting to see some countries uh in europe um who are actually fighting back against this i i was always stunned when this eu thing started coming together that uh country would surrender its sovereignty without a shot being fired. Um, and, you know, the ones who led this push are like the Eastern Europeans. They fought for decades to get un- out from under the boot of the Soviet Union. So, you know, some of them, I think the Hungarians were the first ones to really push back on that um, because there also, there's just this cultural difference. The Western Europeans are a bunch of godless heathens that are just perverse. And the Eastern Europeans are more traditional and, you know, family oriented. And so they don't want all this weird stuff being imposed on them. Um, But so it's interesting to see this uh, whole idea of uh, nationalism being equated with like, you know, Nazism or something. Um, And so that's the, but see, that's the attack from the Marxists. It's, you know, don't talk about facts or issues, just resort to name calling. Um, and so like we saw with the Democrats and their misogyny, uh, sometimes that comes back to get you. Um, but just to show you these tactics and the, so the irony of all this is, uh, if anybody's Nazis, uh, and has this Nazi ideology, um, it's these leftist Marxists, um, who deny free speech to people, uh, who resort to violence. There was a story about. Middle de- Middlebury College in Vermont, I guess it is. Let me get the article. Yeah, they have this guy who is from Poland. Um, let's see. Oh, I'm never going to be able to re- pronounce his name. Ryszard Legutko? Wow. Um, he is uh, a conservative Polish Catholic philosopher. Um, Poland's a highly Catholic country. Uh, He was supposed to give a speech, and he was invited there. Um, I guess the guy is a a, a professor at a university, another name I can't pronounce, Jagiellonian University, and he's a member of the European Parliament. Um, And so he was scheduled to speak there at the Alexander Hamilton Forum. And his, his lecture was on, um, it was entitled, The Demon in Democracy, Totalitarian Temptations in a Free Society. And he was part of the anti-communist uh, resistance in Poland during the Cold War. And so his whole thing is warning Western democracies about its susceptibility to totalitarianism. Because these totalitarians, they take advantage of the freedoms that are available in these democratic countries uh, to get into power, and then they take, you know, all the freedoms away. Um, And so, but there were a bunch of students and professors at this college that wrote a letter demanding that the university rescind its invitation and sponsorship um, to this guy. And so, and it was a bunch of, again, a bunch of Marxists. Um, And so um, this guy, Legudo, he had uh, critiques of multiculturalism, feminism, and homosexuality. uh, Because he's Catholic, you know, so of course he's going to have a position uh, about homosexuality. Um, And I don't know, the feminism, the multiculturalism, well, that's just the cultural invasion again that you see going on in europe um it's funny to me because people are always saying you know the multiculturalists say that all culture cultures are equal but it's funny because look at the people who've migrated into europe over the last few years coming from like syria and places like that where they're you know it's a war-torn area but they're in A Muslim culture, predominant, overwhelmingly Muslim culture in that part of the world. And they could have went to other Muslim countries. They could have went to Iran. They could have went to Saudi Arabia. They could have went to the Gulf states. They could have went to North Africa. They could have went to all these places that have the same culture that they have. But they didn't. They went to Western Europe. So, the people that were born and raised and living in that culture looked at Western culture and decided to walk thousands of miles to get to Western culture. So, talk about voting with your feet. Um, apparently they had a preference, um, for the culture. Uh, but then they get to the, uh, into these, uh, European, uh, countries and then you have like these no go zones and all this. So, I don't know if it was, uh picking the culture or just kind of um, the invasion tactics that if you look back at islamic history um they've infiltrated places and um yeah anyway um but still i don't think i don't think everybody that went to europe um were looking to uh institute uh islamic culture in europe i think some of them just wanted to get away but it's funny because you hear all uh, about the Christians in that part of the world that have been denied entry into European countries, into Canada, the United States. So it's, it's, the, so the Western world has specifically imported Islamic culture into their countries. And there's just a clash. Um, and the more liberal the culture is, the more it clashes with Islam. Um and so it's it's just it's interesting. So this multiculturalism is a, is a thing. Um but again if you want a one world government and you want a one world society, you wanna blur the differences in culture. You wanna take down cultures and uh, you know, um you go back to the Frankfurt school, we'll have to do a whole episode episode on the Frankfurt School someday. Um but their whole thing was to tear down Western culture. And so um, Islamic culture is a good means to do that because it tends to dominate and insist on dominating uh, other cultures. Um, so it's interesting. So this guy, he's he's this uh, professor that's speaking at uh, Middlebury College. He's like being attacked by these uh, leftist students and professors. And they're saying, uh, what was the quote from him? Inquiry, equity, and agency cannot be fostered in the same space that accepts and even elevates homophobic, xenophobic, misogynistic discourse. And so, yeah, so they're not even going to let this guy speak. So, (laughs) apparently, uh, nobody at Middlebury College owns a dictionary or they would uh, understand the meaning of the word irony. This guy's speech was on totalitarian temptations in free societies. And he's disinvited because people don't like his opinion and want to censor and suppress it so that other people don't hear it. He must have thought he was back uh, under uh, Soviet domination again, Um, only to be surprised that it's just moved west a few thousand miles. Um, And so it's funny because I guess the provost of the college, um, send out an email saying that this event was capt- uh, cancelled, but the the reason he gave was so interesting and here's a quote from his email: "In the interest of ensuring the safety of students, faculty, staff, and community members, the lecture by Rizard Lagudo cancelled for later today will not take place." excuse me, scheduled for later today, will not take place. The decision was not taken lightly. It was based on an assessment of our ability to respond effectively to potential security and safety risks for both the lecture and and the student, excuse me, for both the lecture and the event students had planned in response. So there were going to be protests. So this is the same college who attacked a conservative academic a couple years ago, Charles Murphy. They attacked him as he walked to his car and they sent another professor to the hospital. <laughs> so, um, talk about Nazis. You know, the Nazis had their brown shirts. They were the muscle, right? And so if you wanted someone on the ground who would like beat people up uh, and force, uh you know their um, will against people who disagreed with the Nazi ideology they'd send out the brown shirts, and the brown shirts would just beat them up and silence those who would oppose them and so this is the same tactic these are These are modern day brown shirts these are the leftist brown shirts um and and they do all this in the name of equity. Again, another word that must not exist in the dictionaries at middlebury college um i and so this is um amazing that uh but again, Marxists don't care about facts because uh facts are their enemy um if anyone examined their economic policies, for example um the facts would be against them it's it's succeeded nowhere. Um, their true desire to have a bunch of elite oligarchs who think they're smarter than everyone else uh, come to power so that they can tell everyone else how everyone else should live. Um, that's what you had in the Soviet Union. That's that's the, where you have in any totalitarian regime. You have a, uh, a group of oligarchs who control everything and everybody else has to do and say and think uh, the way the oligarchs tell them to. And so these people uh, that are doing this and stifling other people's speech um, and, and threatening violence, um, they, they don't care about, they don't have any principles. It's just power. That's all it is. It's just power, just like anybody else. Um, But, and it shows you how successful they've been because now even the mere whiff of opposition by these Marxists and this university folds for fear of violence, it's safety. And so again, they didn't back down on any principled stance. It was safety of students, faculty, and staff, and community members, because the Marxists showed in 2016 after the election, they're even willing to burn down Berkeley, a bastion of Marxism. They'll burn down their own place, destroy their own place if they're unhappy. And so that threat of violence, it works, it's effective. And so now this is how you get into self-censorship. People don't even try this stuff anymore, um, because they're worried that the um, Marxist brown shirts all go after um, them two years ago, you know a professor wasn't even safe. he got sent to the hospital and so and these universities just pandered to them. so when this guy canceled this whole thing these these brown shirts won. They realize they don't have to even show up in order to silence their opposition they can just they can just write a letter and say we don't agree. We don't think you should let this person talk. You should censor them the way we tell you to censor them and not allow any views that are different than ours. And the threat of violence is so real that this university just caved right away. Just, yeah, no academic freedom, no freedom of speech, no free exchange of ideas, not even like, yeah, we'll bring in Uh, someone with a counterpoint of view, and discuss it. It's like, nope, the Marxists, uh, just like they've done in uh, other Marxist totalitarian regimes, do not allow uh, the slightest whiff of opposition. They do not even allow, allow it to be spoken, because someone might hear it and understand it and think it makes sense. And so that's the kind of totalitarianism you see coming to this country. Look at this Green New Deal thing. If you ever read through that, it has very little to do with in the environment and a whole bunch uh, to do with changing our entire society and controlling massive portions of the society. I mean, it's incredible. And so what is that? That's a bunch of oligarchs at the top telling everybody else how to live. And so um, you look at how that impacts uh, Christians. Um, you have politicians now who won't even use the C word, even when a terrorist attack happens against Christians. Christians are the most persecuted group of people on the planet. There are even secular uh, human rights group that it, groups that acknowledge that. Um, but you can't even you can't even mention the word uh, Christian uh, with a terrorist uh, activity against them, because it might elip- uh, elicit sympathy. And the narrative is that Christians are the ones who attack other people. Um, So there shouldn't be any sympathy for Christians. And so when Christians are attacked, all that stuff is just stifled. Uh, We talked last time about the 2,000 churches that had been burnt down and vandalized and desecrated in France over the last two years. Did you even hear anything about that? before this fire at uh, Notre Dame? uh, Have you heard much about it since? Uh, It's coming to light a little bit, but you have to hunt for it. Um, Because again, it goes against the narratives. Christians are the oppressors, not the oppressed. Um, Even if the facts say exactly the opposite. Um, But again, facts are not the friends of Marxists. So as we see this stuff going on, um, and we can kind of see... Uh, where things are headed um, as these totalitarians uh, try to take over uh, this country um, as they're trying to take over other parts of the world. And culturally, I mean, they may not have the political power yet, uh, but we see with all this, uh, um, with the election coming up and the positions of a lot of these candidates um, to do the things they want to do, you need a lot of government control and you need to have a lot of government involved in a lot of parts of your life. And so that how it that's how it, you know, creeps into um, an official political uh, capacity. But you see this uh, already in cultural institutions. Again, you see it on university campuses everywhere, everywhere. Talk about how anyone can dispute the idea that higher education, quote unquote, is no more than indoctrination. I don't know. I don't know how you can um say that uh when looking at stuff like this middlebury college thing um it's just incredible uh and uh, and with just uh, again these uh big tech companies um uh, censoring christian uh voices conservative voices um but a terrorist who talks about murdering non-muslims um, his channel still up on YouTube. <laughs> um, hmm. okay. And so it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's amazing and it can be frustrating, but, um, we have to remember in this time, um, that we still have to preach the word, right? Uh, first Timothy chapter four, verse two, preach the word be urgent in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and teaching. So um, we we have to reprove people. We have to tell them uh, what's wrong um, and why they're in trouble with a holy and perfect God. Uh, we have to rebuke and say, no, you're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to uh, be able to Tell people what's right and what's wrong based on what God says and exhort them, exhort them to repent and believe in Jesus so they can be saved. They can be saved from the just punishment for their sins and they can be freed from the bondage of sin in this life. And so that's why last time when we talked about teaching kids, I think this is really important because um, kids uh, they're still curious about what God has to say. I saw this, uh, myself just a couple nights ago, uh, a kid eagerly, uh, taking a Bible. Um, sadly though, I've seen, um, more often than not, uh, parents, uh, physically restraining their child, uh, from getting anywhere close to a Bible. Um, and so there's still, but there's still, you know, I talk to families and I, uh, see kids that um, they are excited to get their hands on God's word. And so that's great. And so um, praise God for that. Um, praise the parents for being faithful and raising up their kids in the way they should go. Um, but more and more, you see parents who aren't interested in uh, God at all and who actively try to keep their kids away from God. And so even on the family level, you can see this um, this fight against the values of God. Um, and so whether it's enforced by a government, or by a bunch of brown shirts, or by corporations, uh, or by individuals and their families, um, the battle against God and the devil's goal to keep the good news of Jesus out of the hands and out of the ears and out of the minds of as many people as possible, um, it's making a lot of traction. Uh, and It almost seems to be speeding up. And so maybe that means the end is near. Um, but God is still saving people. He's saving people around the world. Um, praise Him for that. And look at the strength of faith He's giving people uh, to stand up to these persecutions. Uh, so, uh, I pray God uh, continues to save people and strengthen people. And um, for the for the uh, shrinking percentage of Christians in the Western world, I pray he gives us strength too, so that we can reprove, rebuke, and exhort, so that other people can come to a saving faith in Jesus and escape the wrath to come. Because, boy, oh, boy, looking around at all this stuff going on, uh, if we're frustrated by it, Imagine how mad this stuff makes God. Um, And so there's all sorts of stuff in the Bible about how God views this stuff and how he's going to take care of it. And it's not going to be pleasant because you can't stick your thumb in God's eye forever and not expect it to come back around. Uh, But vengeance is the Lord's. He'll take care of it. And our job in the meantime is to endure, to be faithful, and to share that gospel. So that as many people as possible can be saved before this is all over. So, um, I pray that God strengthens us all. That's going to do it for this time. Uh, Feel free to reach out to us at podcast at jesusforsinners.com. And I wish you all the best. God bless. Take care.